0: In a week where North Carolina had an opportunity to pick up two big games in the ACC race over Pitt and Duke, they instead went 0-2 and now find themselves in a rather precarious place in the ACC standings. And it all begs the question, why can't a veteran North Carolina unit figure out a way to close out these tight games? You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, February 6, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in for What is yet another therapy session, just like we had on Thursday's show after the loss to Pittsburgh. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, through which you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. Coming up on the show, we're going to have our four corners recap, our shady stat of the game from the North Carolina Duke game. We'll also recap, unfortunately, the women's team who also lost on Sunday, breaking their eight game winning streak. But before we get into all of that, why cannot... The 2023 North Carolina Tar Heels and all their experience and all their talent win these close games. The Duke game, 63-57. to I know it's a six-point spread, but honestly, it was a much closer game than that. That's just one of those, hey, you're trying to make desperate plays at the end of the game, and it doesn't happen. Carolina's 57 points was the lowest against Duke in almost a decade when they scored 53 on March 9th of 2013. This loss is disheartening, not just because it's Duke, but also because Carolina easily could have, and frankly should have, won a game against an an inferior opponent. I I know Duke is very talented, but Carolina is, on paper, a better team. In this close game, neither team led by more than seven points at any point. Carolina was up 24-17, and the issue at hand is that Carolina is not closing out games and in a way this is three straight they haven't done that obviously against duke last wednesday versus Pitt, and this the win over syracuse and here's why i say it about that one keep in mind if joe Girard does not save that ball back to pete nance for that go-ahead layup syracuse has a one-point lead with the shot clock off and if they hit free throws they basically win that game and carolina is on a three-game losing streak all of which are tight games right Against Duke. Here let, let's unpack what that looked like. Carolina led 50 to 49. That was the last lead they had on an RJ Davis three with 914 remaining. In the final four minutes of the game, Carolina had at least four opportunities. It was four opportunities, excuse me, to retake the lead. Game was tied at 57. They had a missed three. Still tied at 57, a turnover, still tied at 57, blocked shot. Down 59-57, another missed three. And and I'm not naming names to not name names, but because everyone had a role to play in this that was on the court for North Carolina. It wasn't just a leaky thing or a Caleb or RJ thing. It's everybody in on this. And then not only is it is it missed opportunities on the offensive end, but it's miscommunication or lack of communication on the defensive end that allows Jeremy Roach to make that layup that puts Duke up four that essentially ices the game. <laughs> and perhaps all of this is made even more frustrating because earlier on Saturday before the Carolina Duke game, both Virginia and Clemson had lost, meaning that if the Tar Heels had beaten Pitt and Duke, they would be tied atop the ACC standings, at least as far as the number of losses are concerned. I believe Clemson would still have one more win and be a half game up, but you get my point, right? Um, That didn't happen. And, and when you compare all this, like closing out games to last season, remember last season, Carolina was getting blasted, like uncompetitively so in several games. I, I, I went back through the numbers because you know me, I keep a ton of stats, one of which is, Average margin of defeat in, in losses. And so I just have a one of my Excel spreadsheets where I put in every loss, how much it was buying, those things. So last year, all of last season, Carolina lost 10 games by an average deficit of 15 and a half. They lost six games by double digits, and they lost four games by 20 or more. That All of that is embarrassing. You remember how that 29-point loss to Kentucky felt, right? Like those kind of things. But then when you look at this year, it's almost more confounding because of the experience and because of the talent and because Carolina is coming so close. They've now lost eight games this season. Remember last year, an average deficit of 15 and a half points. This year, it's 5.4 points is the average deficit. Last year, six double digit losses. This year, only one. It was by 12 points at Indiana. Last year, four games of losing by 20 or more points. This year, zero. Carolina has not lost a game by more than 12 points this season. It's almost more frustrating, right? Because you're right there and you're not doing the things you need to to get over the hump. In fact, let's confine it just down to the five ACC losses. Carolina has lost by eight points, two points, seven points, one point, and six points. For an average in ACC losses, an average deficit of 4.8 points with zero double-digit losses. Why is this happening? What's the issue? Well, for me, I think it's an issue of communication or lack thereof. You heard, for example, or you might not have, Jeremy Roach talked about after the game, Duke's point guard. He knew on that layup we just talked about a second ago that Carolina, who had not been talking all night long, would miscommunicate and he'd be wide open. Sure enough, Olay, <laughs> there you go. Have fun getting to the rim, easy layup. Part of the issue is execution. Um, there, there's some conversation about the amount of sets Carolina is running versus just allowing them to freelance and, and use the, the pick and roll game as they did a lot last year to success against Duke whatever it may be, where it was pretty apparent Duke was ready and well scouted for what North Carolina was going to run from a sets standpoint. So maybe some of it is execution. I think a lot of it is shot selection. Um, Carolina at at times throughout this season, and, and in particular at Duke on Saturday night, was taking either the wrong shot or a rushed shot. And again, same thing as I said earlier, this is not just one person's issue. This was multiple people taking the wrong shot at the wrong times. And to that point, it's not just shot selection, it's shot person. Um, we're going to talk more about the, the allocation of field goal attempts for North Carolina in just a minute. But we have to be getting the, the Tar Heels do the right people, the right shots. And that's not always happening this season. And so I think it's all of these things. There, there's a lot that go into this cauldron to add up to North Carolina, not winning these games. And, and with this experienced team, why not? Carolina should absolutely be able to do that. And, and even, even bringing in Pete Nance, right? Like he is a fifth year collegiate player. So the, there shouldn't be these things mixed in with what everybody else has going on. Because here's one final point I want to make about this whole inability to close out games. I've been talking about it with games that are close where Carolina is not winning close games. Here's another thing that I think a lot of coaches would tell you not. I think they would tell you if you're taking care of business earlier in the game, it wouldn't have to be a close game and you wouldn't have to be executing late game scenarios rather than that. You could have your bench guys in because you're up by double digits. We've talked about that a lot this season where Carolina's inability down the stretch of the first half, for example, will often lead to them putting themselves in a tough position in end of game scenarios. And so if you take care of business earlier, you don't have to worry about this. One of the examples uh, I could use from the Duke game is Carolina's inability to track down 50, 50 balls over and over again. Um, An example, and and this one wasn't too much earlier in the game, but there was um, Kyle Filipowski misses a shot, some nice defense by, I believe it was Pete Nance. Baycott does a great job of walling off and boxing out Derek Lively, which is one of Coach Davis's big things for the night. Box out, box out, box out. But then Duke gets the rebound. And on a second chance, there's another offensive rebound. Lively gets his second putback dunk of the day, and it puts Duke up by two, and ultimately for good. They never relinquished that lead again. Or there was another time where there was a 50-50 ball that rolled back out kind of near midcourt, and I, I really thought it was Caleb and somebody else. It might have been RJ, I forgive me, I don't remember who, or specifically the scenario when it was happening. But I really thought, in particular, I thought Caleb could have had it and just, I don't know if it was a lack of effort or just couldn't get there, but it's like those balls weren't going Carolina's way. And, and you have to do those things earlier in the game. And that goes back to everything we just said, shot selection, shot person, execution, all of this coming into it. Carolina's got to get this figured out. Why are they not winning close games? Why are they not executing at the level they should down the stretch? They can't figure that out. The season's over, at least in terms of hopes and expectations. If they can't figure it out, there's still a lot of basketball to be played, and you never know what might happen. Well, to continue trying to help make some more sense of all of this, this Duke game, As always, we've got our Four Corners recap coming up and my shady stat of the game. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs with which you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, value and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract and identify the most qualified candidates to your jobs with targeting tools and then connecting with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs goes beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, and then from their 875 million member profiles, they put your post in front of the perfect people. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. You want to achieve your business goals in 2023, and the right new team member might help you do just that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs. Number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Once again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Okay, our four corners recap. This is where I present to you what I believe are four of the most important factors or stats or things that happened in the game's storylines. And it's in an homage to the great Dean Smith and his offense. And then I will give you as well my shady stat of the game, a stat that I thought really stood out as well. Number one in our four corners recap, I talked on our preview episode for the Duke game about the X factor of this whole thing. It feels like in every Carolina Duke game, and maybe because it's just the heightened awareness of one game, there is some player and perhaps one or two from each team that is a standout X factor. And you always wonder who that's going to be. Is it a bench player? Is it a starter doing unexpected things? And in this case for North Carolina, it was exactly a starter kind of stepping up in a way that he hadn't been doing either lately or at all this season. No question in this one for the Tar Heels. It was none other than number one Leaky Black, who had 13 points, 10 rebounds, his first career double-double. Leaky Black, congrats to you, brother, on that achievement. And boy, after having gone two for his last 20 from three, Leaky could not have found a better time to find his refine his three-point stroke. Went three of six from beyond the arc, uh, just and and they were all. I think two of the three tied the game and another one brought Carolina back within one. So they were all at pivotal, pivotal moments. Unfortunately, he did miss one right towards the end there. That would have put Carolina on top in the closing minutes. But hey, had a great game from three. I was almost more impressed. Uh, there was a, I forget who was guarding him. It might've been Tyrese Proctor, but had a beautiful pump fake from the, w- to the left wing, the right side. Everyone was kind of cleared out to the right side, just drove past him, had a great dunk. And like, that's the leaky black I want to see always. And so who was the X factor for Carolina? None other than Mr. Leaky black. Number two on our four corners recap. This is where I want to camp out a little bit longer. And this is Armando Baycott, the preseason ACC player of the year. The still, I, I, I would assume the ACC player of the year right now at this point. And yet. Armando Baycott's final field goal attempt in this game came with 12 minutes and 17 seconds left. That is simply unacceptable. He did not have a field goal attempt for over the final quarter of this game. Now. Perhaps you're watching this game and it's like, man, Derek Lively's doing such a good job on him. I understand why you wouldn't get him the game uh, because Lively's doing so well. Ryan Young's not in much. And so, yeah, I I get that the guys aren't getting the ball into the post as much for Mondo because they're scared he's going to get swatted and they're not going to call a foul or whatever it may be. And yet, despite maybe feeling that way to the eyeball test, you look at the box score. Mondo was six for 12 on field goal attempts. Let's say you get him up to 18, six more field goal attempts over that final 12 minutes. That would be three more baskets. If he stayed at that 50% clip, three more baskets is six more points. What was the final deficit? You see where I'm going with this. Not to mention the potential and ones that come along with those field goal attempts where Mondo could get to the free throw line and who knows what happens from there. North Carolina has to do, I'm so sick and tired of harping on this. You're probably sick and tired of hearing me saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's North Carolina's best option on this team offensively. Elite teams know how to get their best player the most shot attempts. For example, let me just take you on a tour around the nation of Saturday. Other elite bigs in the country and what shot attempts they got. Armando Baycott had 12. Let's just put a, a pin in that. Oscar Shibway from Kentucky, 14. Drew Timmy, Gonzaga, 14 shot attempts. Hunter Dickinson, Michigan, 15 shot attempts. Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana, 19 field goal attempts. Zach Eady, front runner for player of the year from Purdue, 19 field goal attempts. Armando had 12. The ACC probable player of the year had 12 field goal attempts. Third most on his own team. He has to be touching the ball more. Not and it's not just shot attempts. For example, there was a play where um, ball comes into him in the post and he finds. I believe it was a cutting Leaky for a layup. Like it's not just about get the ball to him and he's going to take a shot. He's not a black hole. You get to ball the ball to Mondo and good things happen. Let's even go back to those guys around the nation. Season long averages. Look at this. Armando Baycott, eleven point eight shot attempts per game, field goal attempts per game. Those other guys, Hunter Dickinson, 12.4, that's higher. Trace Jackson Davis, 13.6 field goal attempts per game. Zach Eady and Drew Timmy, both 14 field goal attempts per game they're averaging. Only Oscar Sheboy of that group we talked about is below Armando Baycott at 10.9. And part of that is because of the injuries where he's been in and out of the season. Why on earth is Armando Baycott not averaging more field goal attempts per game? And don't come at me with, oh, well, that's because of the zero field goal attempts he had against Virginia. That's what's brought his average down lower than those guys. Guess what? I didn't even factor in that zero. Had I done so, he would be from 11.8 down to 11.2 field goal attempts per game. So I took out that zero and that number is still that much lower than all these guys. All that to say, I know Carolina has other good scores. Armando has to have more field goal attempts. Okay, that's four corners point number two. Four corners number three. Carolina's transition D was frankly atrocious on Saturday night. I don't know what it was, why a guard wasn't getting back. If you're not sure how this typically works, as a shot goes up offensively, someone else gets back in transition to cut off a break. So let's say R.J. Davis takes a shot. Caleb Love as the other guard would get back in transition defense, or maybe if he's closer to the rim and and Leaky's in the backcourt, it's Leaky that will get back and let his teammates know, hey, I'm back on D or whatever it is. Somebody has to do that. Go back and watch. There are multiple times when Carolina gets a shot, nobody is back, and Duke just leaks out, gets the rebound, and is gone. Gone, I tell you. Two-point. Blue uh, Duke led the fast break points category 20 to 2. North Carolina was outscored 20 to 2 in fast break points. And a lot of this honestly goes back to what I mentioned earlier about shot selection and, and lack of execution. Taking better shots, shots within the flow of the offense when you're, when you're, uh, your teammates are expecting it, allows you to be better set for that transition defense that you have to play. Carolina wasn't, and it, it bit them. Four corners point number four, the free throws. You knew I had to talk about it at some point, right? Well, I tried to push it back because I didn't want it to be the thing, but it is a big, big thing from this game. Much has been made on social media, in Coach Davis's press conference, about Carolina's only three free throw attempts in this game and zero in the second half. For some context, their previous load this season was just 12 free throw attempts. This was the only time this season, hear me say it, that Carolina did not hit double-digit free-throw attempts. Well, that's obviously because Carolina wasn't getting to the rim and wasn't doing things in the post, right? Wrong. Absolutely not. This is the result of the refs not calling body contact underneath. You look down at, at all the play that happened inside. Um, when, when the refs aren't calling, when they have a loose whistle and aren't calling that contact underneath, Armando Baycott can't affect the game in the way that he should be able to. And then that's part of the rest of the team getting away from him. So uh, while while I'm asking earlier, hey, get the ball to Mondo more, I, I understand why that's not happening, but still you got to force it. Now, hear me taking nothing away from Derek Lively in this. He is a tremendous defender, but you're telling me Derek Lively has eight blocks. I'm seeing a ton of body contact and Armando Baycott, who typically draws six, seven, eight, nine fouls a game from the opponents, only draws two free throws, or only draws two fouls, excuse me, you look at the box score and it'll tell you how many fouls the player had and how many fouls they drew. Armando Baycott only drew two that were called. That's not that's not right. That is not the game that I saw. It just doesn't add up. Part of it, though, I, let's, listen, listen. Carolina settled for too many threes. This is a team that has not been consistent all year. And that, that's part of the issue of why Armando doesn't have as much room to operate is because Carolina is not a great free throw or great three point shooting team. And so teams are sagging down in on him. They were just seven of 27 from three, 25.9%. That's too many three pointers for this team. Even still, even still, there should have been more free throw attempts for Carolina. There were multiple times where I thought uh, lively fouled Baycott or another player, and it just went uncalled. Now I'm not saying it was inequitable. Carolina was getting the benefit of that on the other end of the court as well. I just thought the whistle itself was too loose. Do you hear the difference in that? I hope so. Um, And so ah, that, that hurts in a season where Carolina is getting so much of their offense at the free throw line. It's going to be hard to overcome that on the road when you're not shooting well as well. All right, let's wrap up this section with the shady stat of the game. It's been a lot of gloom and doom so far. So let me give us at least some uh, kind of statistical happiness from this game. There were some encouraging stat trends, several of which I'll unpack as the week goes on with rebounding and some other things. But one of those happy statistical things was assist numbers, which were back up R.J. Davis, five assists, zero turnovers. That makes me very happy. Caleb Love, four assists, tur- two turnovers, an assisted turnover ratio of two. Combined, these two guys, nine assists, two turnovers. That's great from your backcourt. As a team, Carolina was back to a, a spot-on exactly 50% assist Ratio: 12 assists on 24 made baskets. You might recall the Syracuse game was the highest of the season. Carolina did a great job of not settling for threes, but the two games on either side of that, Carolina was in the the mid-20s, 25 and 26%. And so against NC State and in the lost pit, that's not going to cut it. So to see Carolina doing this, getting back on the right page assist-wise, hopefully that's trending back in the right direction. Well, obviously there is much more to be said from this UNC Duke game, the game itself, some of the weird peripheral stuff. We're going to talk about it more as the game, as the week goes along, cheer sheets, personnel issues, uh, people saying that this is the revenge Duke needed after last year and scores are settled. Come on, that's laughable. We're going to unpack all of that later in the week, but now we need to turn our attention to the women's basketball team. Whose eight game winning streak, unfortunately was snapped on sunday what happened there i'll tell you all about it but first this episode is brought to you by built bar you're looking for a delicious treat but you don't want all of the fat and calories well then you gotta try a built bar we got through the holidays just a month or so ago and i know my goal is to eat healthier in 2023 if you're like me and you want to do that without compromising taste then built bar is for you with built healthy is actually tasty Why is it so good? Well, for starters, it's covered in 100% real chocolate and it comes in great flavors like churro and peanut butter brownie. And I'm not sure how built does it, but they do all that while maintaining great macros, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and yet a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get your order from built.com like you used to. Why? Because Sam's club and Walmart are now carrying them in store. So run on down right now, get you a four count box of cookies and cream or a bulk box from Sam's club of some of those churro bars. You know, you won't be disappointed. Built bar, a proud sponsor of the locked on network. All right. Unfortunately, Sunday afternoon, Louisville snaps the UNC women's eight game winning streak, taking this one 62 to 55 there in the KFC Yump Center. Massive crowd on hand there, 10,000 for this women's game, making it very tough to win on the road. Same thing as we do for the guys game. I want to give you the four corners recap from this one. Four, uh, Four corners point number one. It is very difficult not only to win on the road, But when you're missing two of your five starters, if you've been tracking with me or tracking with the women, you know that Eva Hodgson has been out for several games. I believe this is four in a row now. Well, unfortunately, not only that, but Alyssa Usby missed this game. And it's difficult with Eva Hodgson out. It's almost insurmountable with not only just any second starter out, but when it's Alyssa Usby, who just does so many Things for this team. She's fourth in the conference in rebounding, 11th in scoring, and just does so much. It's a lower body injury. Prior to this, Espy had started 71 straight games. This is the first game she's missed in her Carolina career. Really unfortunate. Um, But consequently, because of both these ladies missing, the, the Tar Heels only played seven in this game. That that makes it all the more tougher on the road. And very thankfully, this was Kayla McPherson's now third game. And boy, she just continues to show flashes of some great things. Still, as we've said, um, I believe it was on on Friday's show coming out of the Thursday night game. Uh, just, just still learning speeds, learning when to play in first gear, when to learn to play in fifth or third, all of that. And she's going to get there, man. But her... Her uh, package of finishing at the rim is something special. So keep your eyes on that. Four Corners point number two. While it's tough to play on the road, credit to North Carolina for doing so in in a raucous Louisville environment. Neither team led by double digits in this game. There were six lead changes. In fact, North Carolina actually appeared in great position to win this game. They led by one at halftime and then went on an 8-0 run to start the third quarter to take a 9-point lead. Lead. The problem was that after that, Louisville goes on a 25-11 run the rest of the quarter and just kind of ended up taking a lead in the fourth and Carolina couldn't uh, respond. They pushed back to within one, I believe it was at 51-50, but couldn't get back over the hump and then Louisville pushes out to that final seven point margin. Great, great effort there from the Lady Heels, but just dropped this one on the road. Got one more road game to finish off this four road games in five stretch. Four Corners Point number three. Anya Pool might be kind of coming alive for the Tar Heels. She scored 10 in this one on an efficient five of eight shooting and has now got double digits in back-to-back games. Had 11 on Thursday as the Tar Heels hosted Virginia. Keep in mind that before that, she hadn't scored double digits since the fifth game of the season. If she can add this to what the Tar Heels are already doing collectively, that's going to be a great thing. And then four corners point number four, Paulina Paris. Another part of of having both Utsby and Hodgson out is um, that the ladies are all going to have to play more. And there was one woman in this game who played the entire 40 minutes. Who was it? You know, was it, was it Deja Kelly, you might guess, or Kennedy Todd Williams? Nope. It was your true freshman, the only true freshman on this roster, Paulina Paris, played 40 full minutes the entire game. She didn't have a great shooting game, pretty inefficient, honestly, 3 of 11 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 5 of 8 from the free throw line. But she did add 2 assists, 3 steals, 5 rebounds, great stuff there, and just... The fact, again, I feel like I've said things like this about Coach Banghart and Paulina lately. The fact that the coaching staff trusts her this much to play an entire 40 minutes speaks volumes about the type of player and person she is. Um, That is great resilience and is going to pay dividends both now and in her career. Great stuff there. All right. My shady stat of the game from the women's game was three-point shooting. Louisville struggled mightily to shoot from the outside, just 8 of 27, 29.6%. And you think that's bad, but here's why this is the shady stat of the game. The Tar Heels themselves were even worse, going just 1 of 12 from 3. That's 8, not 18, not 88.3% for the Tar Heels. Going to be tough to win any game, especially on the road, when you're just not hitting from outside. And that one came in the fourth quarter from Paulina Paris. Better days ahead for the Tar Heels who are at Syracuse on Thursday, 7 Eastern on ACC Network Extra. And then let's get them home to Carmichael as quickly as possible. That's it for this episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I'll get you ready for Carolina men traveling to Wake Forest on Tuesday evening, looking to get back in the win column, get things right in these final eight games of the regular season you can follow the show on twitter at locked on heels you can follow me at Isaac Shade or shoot me an email would love to chat with you locked on tarheels at gmail.com don't forget to subscribe hit the like button and comment on the show and also for your next listen check out locked on college basketball brand new show on the locked on podcast network where myself and andy patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. We have on big name experts, coaches, players from throughout the college basketball landscape, locked on college basketball available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Well, hopefully this has been cathartic for you. I know that it's tough coming off these two losses, especially when one is to Duke, but deep breath and exhale with me. It's always a great day to be a goal, right? Yes, I promise you. Okay, friends, we'll talk again tomorrow, but until then, peace.